Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And when he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, Help us to hear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. How do you tell time? I expect most of us, at least those of us who are not ex-military, use the same way of talking about time when we're talking about the day-to-day. When we're talking about the moment-to-moment, minute-by-minute experience of life. And I expect that in the last six months, we have all started talking about time a little bit differently. I bet there has come some moment when you have lost the ability to tell time entirely, to tell one day from the next. And I expect that most of us have realized at one point or another that the year 2020 is going to be one of those moments where every person will suddenly tell their story differently because of that time. It is one of those moments that changes how we think about time, like 9-11, or the fall of the Berlin Wall, or the day that Nick Saban stepped off a plane from Miami. This year has been the kind of time that makes us measure our own time in terms of before and after. There are other ways to tell time, of course. In the church, we often trace our time according to the seasons. Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, or ordinary time. If we think bigger, then we often think in terms of empires. The American age, the colonial age, the age of exploration, the Elizabethan age, or we might talk about technology the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, 
the industrial age, and the information age. I once even saw a book called A History of the World in Six Glasses that says you can tell the story of human civilization and the times of human development according to the invention of in-order beer and then wine and then spirits and then tea and then coffee and then Coca-Cola. It seems it was a real turning point in history when we moved from inventing uppers instead of downers. There are any number of ways for us to tell the history of the world and the history of our lives. But as Christians, we believe that to tell our story honestly, we have to start by telling the story of Scripture. And when we read the Scriptures, one of the things that we find is that they tell time by talking about promises. There's a very particular And a very important word that the scriptures use to describe the promises of God, that word is covenant. And there are covenants all over the scripture, starting with the table of contents. Most of us in our Bibles, when we open them up to the very front, will see that it is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the word testament is just an alternate translation of the same Greek word that we call covenant. Of course, the Bible writers did not have in mind, oh, I am writing part of the Old Testament, or I am writing part of the New Testament. That organization was added later, but they did talk in terms of covenants. In the scriptures, we find that some of the covenants that they mention are the everyday, ordinary, conditional promises that keep lawyers busy to this very day. There are contracts and purchase orders And Abraham and Lot even signed a non-compete agreement in the book of Genesis. Those covenants only lasted for a brief period of time, or they ended when one party broke the covenant. Other covenants were for a lifetime, like the covenant of marriage, or covenants between the kings of various empires. But the scriptures also tell us about the covenants that God makes the promises that God makes. And some of these promises go way beyond a season or a lifetime. Every so often, the scriptures tell us that God makes an everlasting covenant, a covenant that will never end. An everlasting covenant is one that God will never break. And when we sing songs or we read scriptures that say God is faithful, what we mean is that God is faithful because God keeps God's covenants. God keeps God's promises. Genesis tells us that God made an everlasting covenant with all of humanity when God hung his battle bow in the sky and promised Noah never to wipe us out. And God made an everlasting covenant, not just with all humanity, but with the nations when he called Abraham and said, I will make you the father of many nations. And then God made another covenant on Mount Sinai with Moses when he said to the people of Israel, out of all the nations, you will be the nation that blesses all nations. And then God made a covenant with David, the king of that nation. 
And he said that your family will, change, will rule as kings forever. And every one of these promises changed the world. Every one of these promises fundamentally changed God's relationship with us. And Jesus had each of these promises on his mind on the night when he looked at his disciples and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. The word covenant is used 317 times in the Bible. And I promise you there have been many more than that books and articles and Bible studies written about covenants. In some churches, you'll hear them describe their entire statement of faith as covenant theology. That means that there's a lot more for us to say about God's promises than will fit into a single sermon or even a whole series. But throughout this month, we are going to be exploring the power of the promise that God has made with us. Next week, we're going to talk about why a promise is so much more powerful than a prediction. And after that, we're going to talk about how we can come to trust God's promises for the future by remembering the promises of the past. And finally, we will talk about how we, made in God's image, can become faithful so that we keep our promises just as God does. And as we take this time to understand how God can change the world with a promise, we have to begin with the promise that changed everything for us. We've been walking around lately in our own world as if everything has changed. And sometimes we talk that way. But of course, it is not true. As the teacher Stanley Hauerwas is fond of saying, the definitive change for Christians happened 2,000 years ago. That's when everything changed. When Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I am making a new covenant with my own body and blood, pouring myself out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Last Supper and everything that followed it were a new covenant that changed everything because they gave us a new relationship with God. On a Friday and a Sunday, God made a new and everlasting covenant that one day we would feast at the heavenly banquet. On Friday and Sunday, God made a promise that death would never have the last word. At that moment in time, we discovered that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It was in this new covenant that we discovered that neither height nor depth nor width nor breadth nor trouble, distress, harassment or famine nor nakedness or danger nor even a sword, not even angels or rulers or things present or future. None of these things can separate us from the love of God. If we want to talk about before and after moments, If we want to talk about when everything changed, we have to start talking about the day we received a promise from God that God would never let us go. Because that's what promises do. They pull us closer. Before the promise, two families walked down the aisle. But after the promise... They are one family as they walk back out at the wedding ceremony. They loved each other before and after, but it was the promise 
that made them one. A young foreign woman named Ruth says to a childless widow named Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will become my people. And that promise knits them together so dearly that one day all the women of Israel will sing, Naomi, Ruth has loved you better than seven sons. Promises bring us closer. Two parents bring a baby to the baptismal font. And total strangers promise to tell this little one all the promises of God. And before that child knows even their own name, he will know that he is loved by more people than he can count. Because promises place us in proximity to one another. They draw us closer. Promises bind us. And isn't it outrageous? that God would allow himself to be bound to us. Because that's what promises do. They don't just make us closer to God. They bring God closer to us. They are God's way of pulling in close to us. You know, we try to run away. We fail our promises to God. And God just draws us closer. God promises everlasting peace to humanity through Noah, and we run away. So God draws closer to what to the nations and makes a promise to Abraham, and we run away. And so God draws close with a single nation, Israel, and says, through you, I will bless all nations and all people. And when Israel breaks faith, God draws closer and makes a promise to a single family, a royal line. God will keep faith with them. And if just this one family can keep faith with God, then the nation will be blessed and then all nations and then all humanity. But even that one family runs away. And when God has been failed every which way by us, what does God do? God draws closer and becomes so very close that God becomes one of us. And Jesus is everything God promised to be. Everything that we were made to be. God keeps the promises of God. Jesus keeps the promises of God and Jesus keeps the promises of humanity. And Jesus makes a new covenant, a new relationship, a new promise that changes everything. He binds himself so closely to us that he literally places himself in our hands. He says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood given for you. And when Jesus places himself in human hands, he places his mission and his purpose and his promise in our hands. We are holding it. He is calling us to be partners in saving the world. And hear me closely on this. Not one of us is a savior but we are 
the Savior's partners. And his promise is in our hands. God takes the initiative. God makes the promise. But we accept his promise by making promises of our own. We promise to confess our sins, to right the wrongs of the world and its hurts. And we promise to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord. We promise to learn more than we knew yesterday about who God is and about our neighbor. We promise to pour ourselves out for the neighborhood kids so that they can call us school for a season. We promise to feed and simply be near to anyone who, the who needs the food and fellowship of Meals on Wheels. We promise to serve at the door of the sanctuary so that strangers will know they are welcome to draw near. And even when the doors have been kept closed as they have been for a time. We have still kept our promise to return all praise and glory to God wherever we are. And with every single promise, we draw near to the one who has drawn near to us. Promises bring us closer to God and to one another. And in this church, we also promise things like our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And every member that makes that promise helps us to be a little more faithful. And we have been faithful. So faithful, in, fa in fact, that you've already heard how close we are to making good on a promise that was made over tw 10 years ago. How close we are to paying off our debt and fulfilling that promise just by keeping the promises we made a year ago. If we keep that promise, then every gift that we promise for 2021 will go even farther to draw others nearer to the heart and love of God. And it was this very Sunday a year ago that I found myself wrapping up our vision lunch by saying, it is a good time to be Dauphin Way. I hadn't really planned to say that. It just kind of came out of my mouth and I liked it. And as soon as I said it, I knew it was true. And I had no idea what this time would bring, but I have found myself saying it many times over. It feels like everything has changed, but that hasn't. It remains true. It's true because God made us a promise and God has drawn near. And for all that we have discovered this year, <laughs> what we have learned most fully is that God will not let us go. And the promise is still true. The promise is unchanged. And even now, Christ is using promises to pull us closer to each other and to him. And one day, when we tell the story of this time, we will tell it best by talking about promises. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.